0: This morning is from Ezra chapter 4 verses 1 through 16 and 21 through 24. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that they returned, that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel And the heads fathers of the houses and said to them, let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. And we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Ershadon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of the father's houses in Israel said to them, you have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And in the reign of Arias I practice these names, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. In the days of Artaxerxes, Bishlam and Redath, and Tabel and the rest of their associates wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia. The letter was written in Aramaic and translated, Rahum, the commander, and Shemshi, the scribe, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes the king as follows. Rehum the commander, Shemshi, the scribe, and the rest of their associates, the judges, the governors, the officials, the Persians, the men of Eirik, the Babylonians, the men of Susa, that is the El- Elamalites, and the rest of the nations whom the great and noble Osnapper deported and settled in the cities of Samaria and the rest of the province beyond the river. This is a copy of the letter that they sent to Artaxerxes the king. Your servant, the men of the province beyond the river, send greeting. And now be it known, the king that be it known to the king that the Jews who came up from the city, who came up from you to. Us have gone to Jerusalem. They are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. They are finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. Now be it known to the king that if the city is rebuilt and the walls finished, they will not pay tribute, custom, or toll, and the royal revenue will be impaired. Now, because we eat the salt of the palace and it is not fitting for us to witness the king's dishonor, Therefore, we send and inform the king in order that search may be made in the book of the records of your fathers. You will find in the book the records and learn that this city is a rebellious city, hurtful to kings and provinces, and that sedition was stirred up from them of old. That is why this city was laid waste. We make known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls finished, you will then have no possession in the province beyond the river. Therefore, make a decree that these men. May, therefore, make a decree that these men be made to cease, and that this city be not rebuilt until a decree is made by me. And take care not to be slack in this matter. Why should damage grow to hurt of the king? Then, when the copy of King Xerxes' letter was read before Rahum and Shimsai and the scribe and their associates, they went in haste to the Jews. To, at Jerusalem, and by force and power made them cease. Then the work of the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped, and it ceased until the second year of the king of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, D, for that, that reading. I'm not going to go back over those words again, so thank you for doing it for me. So, um, all those long names. Um if uh before i get started this morning i'm howard brown the pastor here at christ central church um if you're a man could you stand up for me please yeah okay we got a good group of men look at these guys um so all right praise the lord um, I just need you guys to really think of a good excuse why you won't be at the men's Bible study on October sixth. I want y'all to look at these men, friends, associates, family. Look at y'all standing up for Jesus today. Look at this. Think of a good reason why, on October sixth, when we start the men's Bible study, why you won't be there. There's childcare. There's a Bible study for your wife if you're married. There's plenty of parking. Football games don't start till one. You can record the NFL, whatever, if you're a sports guy. Think of a good reason why you shouldn't be there. You know, I'm looking for an opportunity. Um, I'm going to be in there too. And um, I'm looking to get to know some of you guys. I don't know all of you. I'm looking for an opportunity to, to... for us to get to know each other better and grow in the Word together. And um, look, if you need some competitive thinking to encourage you, the women in their Bible studies, they are kicking tail when it comes to us. They have been doing Bible studies. They are excelling, growing in their faith. And it's about time we stand up and do about the same thing, right? Amen? We're going to keep standing. I know it seems awkward, but keep standing for a minute. Like and he forgot to sit us down? No, I didn't. <laughs> if I got to stand, you got to stand. But we're gonna have um, elders uh, Rashid Williams and Steve Walker leading um, us, and along with me. And we're gonna be uh, going through a book called "Men of Courage." And yes, it looks cheesy and corny. It does. "Men of Courage" with a little metal on the front. Okay. The book is about $10. If you have $10 to pay and you want to bring your $10 and get the book, I urge that you get your $10 and get the book and bring it, and I'll order it for you and all that kind of stuff. Um, And if you want to go on Amazon and order your own copy, that's fine too. Um, But this is a good book. I've been reading through it, and it really helps. Uh, Is designed to help us um, understand, as men, what it means to have a vibrant and grace-centered relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, our families, and each other. So, I urge that you either get this yourself and start reading, or you bring your $10 and yourself to the class, and let's dig in and do it, okay? Amen? Guys, amen? Amen. All right, and it might be some food. I'm thinking, trying to find a way to get some meat. On Sunday morning. I don't know how. Some bacon, something, okay? Um, But this is what we're doing. All right, y'all can have a seat. I want y'all to pray for these guys um, and help them to get there um, for our men's uh, uh, Bible study starting on um, October 6th. Um, And this book is by Larry Crabb, if you want to know Uh, Men of Courage. And Yeah. Trying to see what I'm supposed to do next. Okay. Well, last week in our sermon series in Ezra, the people of God having returned home to Jerusalem from exile complete the altar of God, and we saw that they laid the foundation of the new temple. And it was in that altar rebuilding episode that we first hear about these other people who had moved in and settled into their cities and and villages while they were in exile for 70 years. And these other people were not going to let God's people just come in and take over (coughs) without them having some control and input over what happened. But little did these people know that they were resisting. Resisting God's mission to give his people the life he had promised and had for them. A life of worship, of hearing his truth, of experiencing his grace and presence and mercy, of being in community and fellowship together. Like Israel back then, God is right now actively moving and working in in the life of the church and its people in in your life and in in my life. But, But in this mix is a serious and committed outward resistance to the work of God in your life. This passage helps us and calls us to properly recognize and realize resistance so that we won't give in to it and give up on the life that the Lord has for us and for you. So what does this resistance look like? First, we see that this resistance is certain. That secondly, this resistance is complex And to keep the C's going, I had to come up with one. And finally, that this resistance is cracked. Certain, complex, and cracked. When I first moved to Charlotte about 10 years ago, one of the first things I did in my introduction to the city was uh, visit Joe Gibbs Racing with an elder who was also the chaplain of Joe Gibbs Racing And I got to go behind the scenes. And and going behind the scenes of this whole NASCAR thing, I must tell you that I was pretty impressed. I was impressed as an outsider to the whole racing world uh, with the level of ingenuity and planning and competitiveness and money that goes into winning races. You know what it boiled down to? As I looked at the engines... And the tires, the special tires, and even hearing about the NASA, NASA scientist turned race car designer, engineer. That these guys, and women too, yeah, there were some women in there, are all about a life of resistance of putting themselves in it and against it. They are committed to doing what nothing else in all of creation wants or likes for them to do. All of the physical elements around them, all of these elements are are against their mission. Gravity and wind and viscosity and heat and pressure hate and are set against them. Yet their whole thing is about pushing and moving and setting goals in ways and places that ironically welcome, add to, and invite resistance. That's what racing cars is all about. The life God calls and has planned for us based on his goal, of using and loving us in this broken and evil and sinful world, is sure and designed to be certain to bring resistance. Look how the history of their resettling is laid out. Look with me at verses 4 and 5. The Bible says, then the people, the other people that were there when they moved back in to resettle, then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and brought counselors against them to frustrate their purposes. All the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. If you didn't know between... Darius and Cyrus is about 14 years, and and the writer doesn't stop there. He writes this passage. He brings some of what happened throughout history, of all the trouble these outside folks gave them after the temple was finally built. As a matter of fact, if you look carefully at your scripture, verses 6 through 23 is an inserted description of oppression and conspiracy, complete with an official letter of complaint, and what turns out that after they build the temple, what turns out to be all almost a hundred-year history of nagging from the outside. The writer wants us to see that the history of God's work in and through his people was, is, and will always come with certain resistance. A resistance that actively causes problems, For his people. I mean, according to verse four's description of the nagging, it is pervasive and and comes on multiple fronts and diverse ways, including those official political letters sent to the kings. And these attacks eventually work, right? The Bible says they finally succeeded in stopping the work of God's temple for about 14 years. And it may be hard to recognize and even harder for us to hear. But the way and the what of God's work in us and and through us is designed to be against, to impact and, and push against a fallen world and its principles. And guess what? This fallen world is sure to push back. It is the life and world that God has chosen from way back to set us in and against. And I want you to forget the lies of the prosperity or the overcomer's gospel or the gospel of your own mind or or, uh, of of the exercise of your faith right or nice enough where you can avoid resistance. I purposefully didn't entitle this sermon overcoming or avoiding resistance in your life because it is not possible. If you're involved in a relationship with God, or or if you are being drawn into one, maybe you're not even a believer yet, but God is drawing you. If you are in the active part of the church, design hardship and personal and corporate spiritual attack, even on this church as a body, misunderstanding by others, difficulty experiencing God and, and the fog of the, the diversity of, of beliefs and thinking in the world and all the stuff that goes into that. Not allowed to feel okay about your faith. That is going to be there. It is par for the course and let me tell you it is sure to take us and drag us through dry and trying seasons in our faith it will take us through times of doubt and we may even drift from and be confused about our relationship with God as as we let more and more outside help and the badgering and bombarding bombardment of outside opinions and options in 14 years where the oppression worked. If you're like me, sometimes you are like, man, things were going so well back then in my faith. I do it all the time. I look back at the glory days of of my walk with Jesus. I look back at when I first became a believer in eighth grade. I thought, man, I had so much faith back then. I remember five years ago when me and Jesus were doing good and I was in that perfect church or I was in that, that, that community group and I had this group of friends and I was growing in my faith and man, all hell has broken loose now and against my mind and heart and world. And guess what? We will struggle in our relationships and desires and expectations of God through life. And some of us have been fighting what seems like a losing battle against the offerings this world gives for years. It's almost a century of nagging over the same thing. Some of us believe we're not believers because we struggle. Some of us doubt that Jesus is real because we have setbacks and hardship and resistance to to the life that God gives. But if you're a believer, then that is exactly what you're going to get and experience. And a large part of this is due to the sheer complexity of the resistance. Look with me at verses 1 through 3. When the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of fathers, heads of fathers' houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. And we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Eskerhad and king of Assyria who brought us up here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of fathers' houses in Israel said to them, you have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Zerubbabel's refusal to help of help, as we hear it in our day and age, appears to come off a little xenophobic and prejudiced, and, and just kind of plain stupid. I mean, these folks claim to be worshipers of God. They're good, nice people, and they want to help. They even claim to be kindred spirit. They explain that they too have been relocated. You know, our struggle and our story are, are kind of the same. We can and should join together to rebuild this place. Can't we just all, can't we all just get along? And Zerubbabel and the leaders of Israel are like, in rebuilding the temple and people of God and the city of God, the answer is no. See, opposition and resistance to God's life for you, whether you're a believer or not, hear me now, is complex because it often disguises and comes off and appears good and helpful and right from good and nice and helpful people and administrations and governments and political systems. Hear this. The resistance to God's work in life will and may pull on your deepest desires. It will offer everything that the work of God does not. It has yet to produce or lacks. It may come off as an immediate offer of friendship and love and and resource and and pleasure. It may promise importance and relevance and acceptance and strength and expediency and the fast track and popularity in the world and political and world influence and and changing the world for the better and, and feeding all the hungry people and doing all the good things and power and comfort and even peace. complex. That means that resistance can look like a boyfriend, the one you've been waiting for for so long, a lover, your buddies that understand you better than the church guys, your next-door neighbor, your really positive or, or spiritual friend. A nonprofit organization, a government, or political group, a good entertainment package at a good price. All the pay channels, you know, that boss, a much-deserved break that, that from living so good and working so hard to be a believer, to let your guard down, to let your hair down, to just be free. Come on, man, let me help you live this life, is what the world is saying. Being a Christian is so hard, and you've got so much work to do, and there's so many ins and outs. Let me give you some relief and some help. shouldn't accept that. And so here is the rub because the text is not teaching us to be bad neighbors. or Prejudice or xenophobes or, or mean or, or not enjoy the world. These so-called helpers of God's people have self-identified as God worshipers. But if we look more closely, we see that they were ex out here under the Assyrian king. And they are not God worshipers. They are godly worshipers. And there's a big difference. What they describe as worshiping the God of Israel means they worship the God of Israel too. And sometimes. They like some things, maybe most of the things about, about the faith, but they are not about the word and work of God. What we Christians know is the gospel. They want God and the faith to be welcomed and fit into their many polytheistic God society for Christianity to be good too and also. And so they have a false gospel of love. Should we just have love? Isn't love what the world needs? Can we just, can we, shouldn't we just get along? Isn't love and peace the highest virtue? You just moved in. You've been gone for 70 years. We just want to rebuild the city together. But this is not about rebuilding the city. This is about rebuilding and establishing and putting a foundation of a worship relationship between God and his people. So they have a false gospel of love. And as they play a role in building God's house and building the holy things of God, get this, they will eventually claim control over God. They will possess God without God truly possessing them. They will force God. Now, this happens all the time. I go to all kinds of community meetings and and sit with all kinds of people. They want to force the God of the Bible to accept them as believers too, as good too. They want God to dominate. They don't want God to dominate or drive their lives or, 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 or determine what's right and wrong in this world. So they fear and don't want God to drive the lives of the people who are with them. I'm sorry if you thought becoming a believer or possibly becoming a believer would make you fit in more. It's not about not fitting in. It's about bringing what is good and true and right and truly redeeming to a world who needs it and don't know it. Right? I mean, let me say something that's going to be hard to hear. There are things that you're non-believing, not believing in the gospel. They may go to church sometimes, but non-believing in the gospel, good, intentional, spiritual, once again, wise friends, family associates, good television, producing drama and stuff that makes you feel inside, popular books, underground media, and neighbors can not only not help you with, but will turn out to be opposition and resistance and against the life of God at work in you. I was thinking about this the other day, and I, 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 I can't distinguish now. I have so many philosophies going in my mind. I listen to so much outside stuff. I, I listen to so many outside voices, and they're all so cool. The stuff I hear in music. I'm like, "Yeah. Haters. What, what do I know about some haters? Listen to T.I. last night, trying to stay awake, driving back from Nashville. Yeah, you hate it. What, what am I talking about? <laughs> At one in the morning, it made sense. Going down I-40, it made sense. You hate us. <laughs> Throw it up, right? What am I doing? <laughs> you wonder why while while an argument breakup. Hey, 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 Harrison Clark, come on. Where'd that come from? I know it's a simple example. It's kind of funny. But the truth is we hear so much stuff that now we don't know what's up. We've allowed the world and its philosophies and ways of thinking and fixing to build into our faith. It's tricky. And more often than not, it will... If you act alien to or don't accept them or their advice is just as good as God's, more often than not, you know, you're just a conservative. It's a cuss word now. You're just an evangelical. Another cuss word. If conservative means I believe the gospel as the life-changing power of God in people's lives in this world, then I'm a conservative. If evangelical means that as I look at you as an individual and I believe that the gospel is the only thing that can change your life, I don't care how smart you are, I don't care how informed you are, I don't care how savvy you are, how cool you are, or how beautiful you are. If I can look at you and say you are a sinner ugly and before God, and God doesn't like that about you, and only Jesus can bridge the gap? If I believe that, then I'm an evangelical. I am an evangelical conservative, if that's what it means. Now, some of this other stuff it means, okay, maybe I don't want to own that, because a lot of conservativism, evangelicalism, is idolatry repackaged. But I will not let the cuss words, the connotative cuss words of, of what Christianity and the gospel means shouldn't hold us back. It's abusive. It's resistance. But heck, at Christ Central, I'm a liberal and I'm a conservative. I can't fit I'm liberal because I won't vote for certain. I don't think you have to vote for certain parties to be a Christian. All right, I'm liberal too. The point is, on both sides, there is but one thing, the gospel. If you don't accept their advice as good as God's, more times than not, they will make you feel uncomfortable. This world assistance, if you don't welcome them in and put God in his nice place in the world, the loving, nice God, who's all quiet and docile, who's not really doing anything, he, 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 just, uh, he just gives moral advice to people, like this big daddy in the sky that just pats heads. If you don't do that in the broad scope of things... They'll look at you like some archaic fool and treat you like that, too. And I don't want to be like that. <laughs> and the writer of Ezra gives proof of just what this good stuff means. Look at verse 4 through 6 again. I'm going to read it again. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah when they said, no, you can't help, and made them afraid to build and, and bribe counselors against them to frustrate that purpose. All the days, their purposes, all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia, and in the reign of Hasaras, in, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem, and then goes on and on. You know what they really are resistant to in the complexity of things? Because I'm trying to make sense of this. Because I'm a cool guy, I can hang out too. It wasn't the Israelites, it wasn't the people of God themselves, but the complex God of Israel, right? See, Zerubbabel's no to their help said to them, Our God? Is not the God you have worshiped and worshiped, and you've worshiped Him wrongly. He is so complexly and completely holy, you who are not His people, who are not called by His name, can't help build the temple. Why? It is His, it's not mine. We are just as people, saved by grace. It is His, God's claim of superior power, grace, and love that calls us people to be, do, and how they did. Because He is holy. See, people resist a supreme and complex God who calls everyone and everything to repent and bow their knee and surrender to Him and His word. And God wants His people to live outwardly like that is true about Him. You ain't no, you ain't nothing, people of God, in and of yourself. You ain't nothing. You're not holy. You live by grace, by faith in God. But let me also let you know the God that you, that knows you by name, that claims you, that possesses you, he is holy. And when he comes around, he wants every knee to bow and every tongue to confess. And for them not to do that is an offense to him all the time there's never a situation or, or moment or second or or or, or you know the, the the setting where god is not and when he's present and he's all and he's everywhere that he shouldn't receive glory and praise and honor and that's hard that's hard for me that's why i live by grace Zerubbabel is saying, and the leaders are saying, that God is so holy, get this now, that there is no way for you outsiders to please him enough to get an inside relationship with God. Right? That God is so holy that you can't work or good deed or lay enough bricks or build enough good stuff or help the people of God enough your way or good deed your way into his good graces he's too holy for that but like us you must have received and been given his grace to have a working relationship with him and so that gospel truth that god is so holy and we are so not we not we cannot bring him down or rise up high enough to, to fit in is offensive and foolish and backwards and appears to need correction the gospel's silly it doesn't make sense it's not it's unlike anything in this world the world you live in and its people will try to help you soften your god's image they will do their best to reconstruct and better and make you a social group or some type of community group only who just is good for the community you're worshipers of the most high god they will make Jesus a good, holy man among many. If he would just take his place next to Buddha and Confucius, things would be fine. If, you know what, believers, if you would just bring the volume down a little bit on Jesus, so he can get along with everybody else with the rest of the spiritual leaders and sages of the age. They will make Jesus a good holy man, a spiritual leader who is simply a good example of how to love the world. They will make the gospel God's salvation of the world about earning and doing the right things. They will do their best to fix your faith. My dad was going to... through it. I hope he doesn't hear this. He's going, I didn't ask him, so too bad. He was going through like an extreme midlife crisis in his life when he had a little extra money. So he went and bought this Porsche. You can tell he didn't have any kids because it only has two seats. And when I took it out without asking, he came, he said, Hey, wait, it only has insurance for me. I'm not on the policy anymore, Dad? No. So he gets this car and he said that. He went to get it and he goes, hey, he says to the guy, can I see the engine? And the guy says, no. I'm like, wait a minute, show me how to get in the engine. And then he was like, no, I, I can't show you that. It, it's not like he said, no, I can't because you actually own the car. But why do you want to mess with the engine? Nobody messes with this engine except the Porsche mechanics, the priest of the Porsche. We only use original manufacturer's parts and certified mechanics. And anyone else working on that thing may and will force a fix that will hurt it. The world is people's religions, the people's religions and philosophies want to tinker under the hood of the gospel and put unoriginal manufactured parts, that's another way of saying unbiblical parts, in it that will cause it to seize up. Right now, some of you, As you walk in your faith or drive along in your faith, you now have expectations and desires and and ways of thinking about your faith that are holding you up and causing you to break down here and there because somewhere, somehow... Something you've heard or or something you've experienced or or something that you hadn't let go of or or something that keeps pummeling you in your head or something you're listening to or hearing or dancing to or something has gotten under the hood of the gospel in your heart and it's been tinkered with. It's time to go back to Scripture. Scripture. It's time to actually call some of your church leaders, your elders. Maybe it's time to have a good Christian friend. Maybe it's time your kids play with some Christian friends too. And I'm all about good neighbors. Y'all know how I am. I'm about redemption of all creation. That's in our thing. We, 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 we incarnate. We go out. We 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 have non-Christian friends. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about opening your life up to advice in relationships that want to damage your faith. But the writer in closing, about it, but the writer of Ezra wants us to know this that though resistance is certain and complex, it is definitely cracked. Look how he mentions the kings here. In, 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 that, that these people solicited to stop the work, and these are not all of them. These are just a couple of them, two of them. He, he mentions uh, in, in verse 4, in the reign of Ahasuerus. Now, that is that King Xerxes from, remember the movie 300? That's him, okay? So, so they mention him, King Xerxes, uh, aka Xerxes. I wish they'd put Xerxes because it's easy to rec- uh, to say. And, and then artaxerxes. Xerxes, Two powerful king in regimes. And though they finally succeeded getting Artaxerxes to stop the work on the city, enough pressure in general to get the temple work stopped, look at what happens here. The king before Darius that allowed the discrimination goes on dies. And then Darius comes in to reverse things. That's the first thing. But look carefully what verse 21 says. Look with me. This is after they make the complaint and the king is responding. Therefore, make a decree that these men be made to cease their work on the temple and the I mean on the walls and the city be not rebuilt until a decree is made by me okay the decree issued by artaxerxes was more like a staying order right until as verse 21 says until he can what Make a kingly decree or judgment or final destiny on the city and the people of God. You know why King Art, let's call him that, we like that, really didn't make the final decree? Because the final and true decree was God's alone to give. The final judgment on whether God's plan is going to work is his alone. So the king before Darius dies and king art stops short of ending it all for Israel. And that little crack. And the resistance plan is what God used to get the order and ability to get the decree reversed and building resumed. It was in that crack in the resistance, um, in their human short-sightedness and temporalness that God made a way to bring Nehemiah and Ezra through to encourage the people of God forward in the face of adversity. Let me say it again, just in case you missed the point. God's redemptive plans have the final decree for you and me in this world, regardless of the resistance, which means this. Whatever, and regardless of what you are going through, or who or what is seeking to confuse and discourage your faith, or muddy God's good news, the gospel for you, or like the many years the Israelites suffered, if and when it is not always obvious, you know, you can't foresee what God is doing, and and how you struggle with who or whatever will be over when you're not sure, would it be over when things are, are unclear in your relationship? Here is the good news. God will bring you and me and us through it. God will bring you and me and us through it, through our confusion, through the struggles, through the doubts in our faith, through the unbelief in the gospel sometimes, through all of that, he will bring us through because there is a crack in the resistance you have experienced. And even through a crack in history or a crack that brings a ray of hope that you see in his word, a crack of God's grace and mercy, he promises to bring his people along through it. I don't know how long you've been struggling. He will bring you through it. I don't know where the doubts in your faith are. He will bring you through it. I don't know who you've given control of your life over to in your mind, in your heart, in your body. He will bring you through it if you are his. He has the final decree on your life in this world. And that can't be resisted because he's God and you're his. thousand years ago something and someone insignificant found a crack among the lost sinned against and di- disenfranchised of the Palestinian part of a pagan Roman empire and that insignificant person a thing was not Ezra or Nehemiah though like them he came to as an came through as an answer to God's final plan and decree to rescue his people Jesus was that person that something was salvation of the world from their sin through him. Again, I don't know what it's warring against and in you for the grace at work in you. But he, Jesus, came through. Came through a certain complex crack in history and will bring those who have believed in him Through the resistance, he will bring you out. He is God. I don't care how certain. I don't care how complex. He will break
0: through with the power of his love for you and me.